Thank you for being with us, Simon. Here you go. Thank you very much. Still morning. Good morning, everybody. Very good. When my son was 16, uh, I wanted him to have some work experience. And uh, so um, there were some opportunities that I spoke to my friends who were in management and said, would you give my son a week? So areas in terms of engineering, software, that kind of area, uh, sustainable energy, those are the things he was interested in. So we managed to get him three work experiences between the age of 15 and 17. One of my friends is a senior manager of a software company that produces the software for, um, well, I'm not allowed to tell you what it is, right? Uh, in fact, he said, yeah, I would, uh, I would love to uh, work I'd love to take Jack for a week to shadow me. So he went and stayed in my friend's house and went to work with him every single day, working in this software department of this big company in Seattle. I'm a great dad. I am the best dad ever. He had to sign a secrecy act. And every day, he just went round and saw how this company worked. What a great experience for him. At, on the last day, he ended up in a team meeting in the boardroom of this organisation. The chief exec was chairing, two directors, two senior managers, and Jack. For two hours, they discussed what they'd been working on all week. And at the end of it, they turned to Jack she, the chief exec, turned to Jack and said, Jack, what do you think? I said, Jack, what did you say? What, how, how did you handle that? He's all of 17 years old in this environment. Jack said, I knew this was coming, Dad. So I just made notes of everything they said in the meeting and repeated back to them what they said to me. And then they told me I was amazing. <laughs> what, what an honour for a 17-year-old to be asked, what do you think? Have you ever been asked that question? Maybe someone's been struggling with something. And uh, what do you think? Maybe you've been processing something and you've gone to see someone you trust. Said, look, I'm really trying to process this difficult thing at the moment, but I'm really keen to understand, what do you think? Um, in decision-making, uh, one of the tips in decision-making is if you can't meet the person that you value, whose opinion you value, imagine what they would say if you ask them, what do they think? And that helps you, you, helps you try and think about how to make a decision. William Carey, who was a missionary to India, he, he said, look, I will go to India as a missionary and he said to his prayer partners and his business partners, I will go if you will hold the rope. 
in this metaphorical pit. He knew he was going to a difficult country. Effectively, when we ask someone, what do you think, we're asking them to hold the rope that will hold us to go into the decision we need to make. Does this make sense to you? So by just asking that question, you are drawing that person close to you for some kind of accountability. The person who gives the answer feels some responsibility, some weight of responsibility to support the person who's asked that question. Would you agree with that? Now with this in mind, let's look at the Bible, shall we? Genesis chapter 18, verse 16. Quite a remarkable story. Hold on to your hats here, because there's about a thousand verses, and I'm going to read them all, okay? Just so you can understand the context of this passage. When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great, and their sin is so grievous, that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the people of earth do right? The Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. And then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I have been so bold to speak to you, the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is less, five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for a lack of five people? If I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again, he spoke to him. What if only 40 are found there? He said, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak what if only 30 could be found there? He answered, I will not do it, but I can find 30 there. Abraham said, now that I have been so bold to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? He said, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10 could be found there? He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left, and Abraham returned home. What a remarkable conversation. By any stretch of any imagination, that is a remarkable conversation. God is choosing to discuss a problem he has with a particular city and wants 
Abraham's perspective. Abraham, what do you think? I've got to be honest, I, get, I struggle to get my head around this. We've got omnipotent, all-knowing, omnipresent, creator God is interacting with a mere man. Now, arguably, he's, he's a pretty outstanding man. Abraham, you've got to admit, he's up there with Moses and David and Mother Teresa and Billy Graham and St Paul and all those people. But at the end of the day, he's just a mere man. God is interacting with just a man. I've got to try and help you have some perspective here. So on, I've got a picture here. This is this circle here is represents the fullness of God. Okay? Now it's infinite. Okay, so it's not proportional by any stretch of the imagination. Okay? But you imagine that circle represents the fullness of God. Incredible. Now if we were to magnify that by ten to the power of thousand, it will look a little bit like this. Because we we're just just trying to get a measure of that. Now, if you were to magnify God's fullness by 10 to the power of 50,000, it would look like this. And Abraham will just about appear. The numbers are made up. <laughs> and what I'm trying to do is if you magnify God's fullness by 10 to the power of 50,000, I'm not even sure we'd appear on his radar. If you magnified it by 50 million, 10 to the power of 50 million, I'm not even sure we'd appear on his radar. I'm trying to get you to understand the magnitude of this conversation. God in his infinite fullness and man with his finite dot. I think even if we magnify God in his fullness by 10 to the power of 500 million, 500 billion, I'm not sure any of us would turn up on the radar. Can you understand what's going on here? This is phenomenal by any standards. God is doing something very unusual here. And I think it has an impact on us in the 21st century today. Clearly, there is a joining point between God's interaction and man, but not exactly the same agenda. It's impossible. It's not an equal inter interconnection. God knows that even when we meet with him, our agenda and his agenda don't add up. But he's looking for the point zero 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 one where it does. So in this particular case, God in his fullness has a context of the universe. Abraham understands God's fullness, but sees in the context of his nephew Lot. So when God is discussing what he needs to do with the city of Sodom, God is thinking about how it impacts the whole universe. Abraham is thinking, my family lives there. Are you following him? 
God is choosing to interact on the basis of a minute amoeba of a thought compared to God's almighty, omnipotent fullness and choosing to join on that point. Abraham is thinking about Sodom in terms of my family lives there, Lot lives there. He's got, we've got kids, I've, I've, got, I've got family there. I've lent him money. He's still got my lawnmower. He's all those things that we think about of how we interrelate and why we pray and say, God, will you do this? This helps us understand how God interacts with us. So, for example, when you say, God, will you heal my sister, auntie, uncle, neighbour, cat? We are seeing God in his fullness through the context or the lens of the need we're facing. God still chooses to interact with us in his fullness, but a much, much bigger context, but finds the point where both meet. Wow. I, you're looking at me going, yep. This blows my mind. See, it's not as if we're on the same page. So in, in terms of relationships, for example, I, I, every time I come to this church, I meet a Bath rugby supporter. He's on the, the uh, computer at the back there. He always wears his Bath shirt. He's mad about Bath. Uh, Bath's sworn enemy is Gloucester Rugby Club, <laughs> which I naturally support. Now, we, the, our support for our clubs do not put us on the same page at all. In fact, I'm sure he'd have a fight with me. He'd have half a chance, but he thinks I'm too scary, so we've got that on my side. Uh, the thing that we have in common, once we've got past that Gloucester are in a better position than Bath in the league, and clearly the better team, once we've got past that, our common interest is rugby. Maybe you're a City supporter or a Rovers supporter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. Then. You've got to get past your points or your personal views and find your common point of view. This is what joins us together. There's nothing that you've got that God goes, wow, I need one of them. <laughs> there's nothing you've got where God goes wow wish I could sing like you I wish I could play I wish there's nothing we've got but God finds something that you are interested in interested enough to talk to God about and that is our joining point we're not on the same page we're not in the same perspective. It's impossible. But he still connects. Are you still following me? Because yeah. uh, I'm talking about something so huge and it's so obvious sometimes. Well, it's not so obvious. It's, it's under our nose sometimes. We can't see it. Yet, in this, di in this dialogue, Abraham is concerned 
but careful not to undermine God's ultimate authority. Let, let me show you something in um, uh, chapter 18, verse 20. Verse 20, it says this, Then the Lord said, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is so great, and their sin so grievous, that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Firstly, God outlines his problem. This is the problem I've got. Abraham and says, effectively, what do you think? Abraham responds and says, will you sweep away the righteous and the wicked? He says, yeah, we understand this is a wicked city, but there are some righteous people in this city. What he's saying here is, God, you're a God who is just. In fact, he says it in, in the, the passage, read it for yourself. He comes to a place where he's saying, God, I, I want to remind you, as if you didn't know, your majesty, how amazing and just you are. This is an unfair decision you're about to make. So God says, well, what would you do, Abraham? Now, Abraham does some fast thinking. I don't think there's anything significant. No scholar is going, there's significance in the numbers here. He just goes into negotiation mode. He quickly tots up Lot, his servants and his family and says, 50. If there's 50 in the city, that's where he's coming from. I'm pretty sure he's, there's a group about 50 in there. Like, would you say, do you, God says, if there's 50, I'll do that. And he's thinking, yeah, I'm not sure about some of those servants. <laughs> yeah, let's make it 45, 45. You can see how he's just negotiating on his feet and going, 45, let's make that 40, 40. Oh, then that's his son, oh, that his son's girlfriend. She is, she's trouble. She, oh my goodness. That, I, how, I'm, I'm not saying exactly what Abraham would think, but I know how I think. I'm starting to second guess some things around here. I know where I, I, what, what God want God to do, but I'm now struggling with the, the issues because God's saying, if this is now your problem, how would you deal with it? And I'm starting to really think like mad. 45, 40, 30, 20, 10. Each time God says, if there's 40 or 50, 45, 40, 30, 20, 10, I will not destroy that city. God has bought in to Abraham's The two are intrinsically tied. Remember the context. God is all-seeing, all-knowing. Abraham is worried about his lawnmower <laughs> and the plight of his family. Why did God do this? Let's look at Genesis 18. Let's, just the first verses I read you. Verse 17 to verse 19 says this. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him 
to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. God is seeing Abraham's potential and decides to journey with him. Despite Abraham's short-sightedness, God doesn't need him, but chooses him to be part of his counsel. Just hold that word counsel in your head for a moment. C-O-U-N-C-I-L. Okay? Just hold that in your mind a little bit. Uh, When I was about 20 years ago, when I was 15, (coughs) not really, maybe about 15 years ago, when I was about in my mid-30s, I had a phone call from... uh, a, a guy in America. He said, we're forming a team in the UK and we'd like you to be part of this team. I said, who's on this team? He said, uh, the head of Evangelical Alliance, the head of YWAM, the head of... And he, he started listing all these top Christian personalities and leaders and me. He said, we're going to launch some training in the UK and John Maxwell has this plan to train one million leaders across the world. And we want this team to facilitate the training in the UK. I'm like, why did you choose me? If ever you've thought, like, I I didn't even have a title. I was Simon Jarvis. I could have made one up. (laughs) But it was just Simon Jarvis. I said, why have you chosen me? And he didn't answer. He just said, I need to know yes or no. When I turned up for that first team meeting, genuinely, it was like I felt I had to curtsy to everybody as I walked in. Like It was like, oh, my goodness, all these people. And he said, the reason why I chose you, he said, when I travelled around the country, I met with you. I said, yeah, that's true. I said, you met with me because some serious big bod pulled out the last minute. You had to be, happened to be in the area, and I took you out for lunch. He said, yeah. He said, in that trip, you were the only person who bought me lunch. You're the only person. Everybody was on the take. He says, there was just something. I went home. The only person I was thinking about was you. There was something about you, and I wanted you on this team. I went, oh. Well, thank you very much. I think it's your turn to buy lunch now. (laughs) (laughs) I ended up on this team... And if I said some of the names were around that table, you'd, you'd, if you know Christian world, you'd r- at least raise one eyebrow. <laughs> and I found myself, like Jack, my son, around a board table, thinking, why am I here? But that team forms like a council. A council. C-O-U-N-C-I-L. In other words, you are there for a reason to express your opinion to make a decision. In Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 16, just for time, I've taken, I I haven't got time to tell you the whole context of that scripture, but just to show you what God says in these things. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Do not listen to what the prophets are prophesying to you, They fill you with false hopes. They speak visions from their own minds, not from their mouth of the Lord. They keep saying to those who despise me, 
The Lord says you will have peace, and to all who follow the stubbornness of their hearts, they say, no harm will come to you. But which of them has stood in the, can you see the word there? Counsel of the Lord to see or to hear his word. Who has listened and heard his word? It's one thing to sit in the counsel, C-O-U-N-S-E-L of God, but to sit in the counsel of God, C-O-U-N-C-I-L, is a different thing altogether. Let me explain the difference. The person on the right here is a counsellor. Thank you. Can you show the pictures? Thank you. He was thinking. The person on the right there is a counsellor. She comes to our church in Gloucester. There she is. The person on, the, on your right is a counsellor. So, yeah? They sound the same, but they're very different. You see, the person, a counsellor, S-E-L-L-O-R, helps you think about your decisions. A counsellor, C-I-L-L-O-R, makes decisions based on what you think. God says, I don't just want your counsel, I want you to be part of the council. I want you to sit round my table. Oh, come on. This is big. The word is very different. I want you to sit round my table because I really want to know what you think. I found this transformational in my thinking. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, got up our game here. <laughs> it's one thing to sit in the council of God, but to sit on the council of God is incredible. I cannot pretend to possibly understand God's mind and processing and his processing. But I do understand how trading in trust works. This is the best way I can describe. I've thought long and hard about this. I want to try and explain something to you. Okay. The reason why God started the journey with Abraham and started this process and asked him, what does he think? is because he saw what Abraham was going to be. And he had to start a journey of connection to take to ensure that when Abraham gets where he's supposed to be, they're still working the, walking the journey together. And this is what I call trading in trust. If you're a parent or have been a parent, you'll understand this. Johnny, eat your dinner. Don't want to. Johnny, you've got to eat your dinner because you've got to be big and strong. Don't want to. Johnny, you're not having your sweets unless you have your dinner. Don't want to. Johnny, you need to eat half your dinner if you're going to have your sweets. I don't want to. Okay, 
Here's the deal. If you eat three chips, two carrots, and half a sausage, you can have your sweets. Does anybody know what I'm talking about here? Hello? Yeah? Right, I'm, tr I'm trying to earth this to help you understand what's going on in this passage. The parent knows that the nutrients from that food is more important than just eating the whole food. It's more important you get something inside of you. All right? That's the perspective of the parent. So he's negotiating or she's negotiating to get to a place, I've got to get some good stuff inside of you. Even if that means I've got to compromise a little bit. The child is thinking sweets. <laughs> but they've traded in trust. Because if the child does what the parent has compromised to, from 50 down to 10, the child goes, wow, I get the sweets. And trust is started to build at that first early stage of the relationship. You follow me? A boy, a teenage young man, came to see me a few years ago. He said, Simon, I I'd like to go to Africa. This guy doesn't have a dad, and he kind of like uses me as a little bit of a dad figure. So I want to go to Africa. Will you sponsor me? I said, no. He said, oh. He says, uh, but it's my dream. I want to go to Africa. So here's the deal. Every book you read, I'll give you 20 quid. And I choose the books. That boy went to Africa with 140 quid of mine. <laughs> <laughs> should have made the books bigger, shouldn't I? That boy is now married and one of our leaders in One Church Network. He came to see me three, months, uh, three weeks ago and reminded me of this story and I'd forgotten about it. He said, you knew what you were doing, didn't you? I said, yeah. He says, because all the books he read then are helping him now in his journey. In his mind, he's getting 20 quid, 140 quid, to go to Africa. In my mind, I can see the potential in him, and I've found a way to grow him without him fully understanding what's going on. But we're trading in trust. Are you going with me? Can you see the parallel here? Yeah? Lastly, made-up story. A man decides to make his daughter a partner in his business. She's fresh out of university, very keen and energetic and excited, but has 30 years less experience than the father. But the father makes her an equal partner in the journey. It's not an equal partnership. It can't be. But the father decides to make it equal because it's based on trust. When God invites you to the table and asks you what you think, it's not about the issue that you're thinking about that he's really interested in. He's trading in trust with you to take you where you're meant to be. 
If you're breathing, you still have a future in front of you. And this is your moment to trade in trust with Almighty God, even though what you're thinking about right now doesn't line up with exactly what he's thinking about. He trusts you and wants to show that he trusts you in the same way that a parent thinks so different from the child when it comes to feeding time. There's a trading trust and it grows from there. You follow me here? I think this is a word for this church. I think it's a word for you. So how do we apply this? Thank you. Just, just the guitar for a moment. I just want to land this. I just want you to think about one thing. When Abraham and God and two men, who I think were angels, were all discussing this process, the two men went off to Sodom and Abraham <coughs> remained in the presence of God. Just, uh, this, this is the key verse here. Verse 22. The men turned away and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. He, he lingered. Joshua is another example of this. When the presence of God came down to Moses in the, in the tabernacle, Moses and Joshua were together. And Moses did his transaction with God and said, I'm off now. And Joshua lingered in the presence of God. If you want to have a chance to hear God say to you, what do you think? You have to linger in his presence. For those of you who are more uh, carnally minded, like myself, when I went to the movies with Jack, Jack loves Marvel movies. And my son and I will regularly go and watch a Marvel movie together. And as soon as the credits, I, I've been raised, as soon as the credits go, I'm up and out. I want to go, Jack goes, no, you stay. I'm like, what are we looking at the words coming up for? Now, if you know, you'll know. But if you're like me, the credits are up, the film's over. No, no, just linger a little longer because if you stay long enough, there'll be another little clue of the next movie that's coming out. I don't want to stay any longer. I want to go. Jack's going, no, stay, linger, remain, and learn something new. Hello? Most of us, all we're interested in is getting our words out to God. We want this, we want this, we want this. God, we, don't, don't do anything with Sodom. My, my family are there and he owes me money. <laughs> and he's got my lawnmower. And we're thinking about those things all the time. God's saying, I get it, I get it, I understand. I'm interacting with you right now. Now just stay a little longer. Linger in God's presence. Take time to get into God's presence. And when you're in his presence, stay just a little bit longer to hear what he's actually saying to you. Just stay a little longer. Maybe like he'll turn to you, Jack, like he turned to Jack. What do you think? And when he does, the first thing you do is tell him 
what he's already told you. <laughs> tell him how amazing he is. Just tell him how wonderful he is. Just I just want to be with you, Jesus. And then boldly talk about what's in your heart. And you'll start to trade in trust for the future. Maybe God will meet with you again and again and again. He sees where you're meant to be and wants to trade with you now for an outcome in the future. Can we just pray, please? Did you get what I was trying to say? Can you hear what the Holy Spirit's trying to speak to you about right now? Samuel comes running in. Says, Eli, Eli, you called. Eli says, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. Goes back to bed again. Samuel, Samuel runs to Eli. Eli, Eli, you called. No, I didn't call you. Go back. This time, when you go back to bed, if you hear the voice, say these words. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Stop running to your leader. Stop running to your mentor. When God's trying to speak to you, linger in his presence. What do you want to say, God? Because the thing he might want to say is, what do you think? Let's shine bright everywhere we go. Music for the people to illuminate the show. Let's shine bright everywhere we go. Music for the people to illuminate the show. Let's shine bright everywhere we go. Music for the people to illuminate the show. Let's shine bright everywhere we go. Music for the people